and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. I'm so grateful for the stool right here. <laughs> Let us pray. Holy God, open to us your word and your way. Inspire us with your presence. Quiet our distracted minds and help us to focus on the message you have for us today. Amen. I am so happy to be here today. Uh, and I'm very grateful for the hospitality and warmth that you have already shown me. So I'm looking forward to being a ministry fellow uh, in the fall and getting to know you more. And I'm grateful to my friends and family and Oakhurst family who are here today. Um, just what a wonderful way to celebrate this day. But I must admit that I was really nervous to be preaching on this holiday. So much about this July 4th feels different to me. And I've always had some ambivalence about the holiday. I grew up in, on Elmendorf Air Force Base in Anchorage, Alaska, where July 4th was a big event. First of all, it was one of the first events where we could be outside in the warmth. Um, and, but fireworks were a really tricky proposition because we were in the land of the midnight sun and it didn't get dark till like three in the morning, so that didn't work. But we had the Blue Angels do aerial acrobatics in the sky. We had huge parades. But even with those huge festivities, I always knew that enslaved folks weren't included in July 4th celebrations. But even with this reality and kind of growing up with that and knowing that and feeling that ambivalence, this July 4th, this particular July 4th, 2021, feels especially fraught. As a country, we're grieving over 600,000 deaths from COVID-19. We are experiencing a torrent of climate-related disasters. We're still reeling from a contentious and difficult election season, as well as the January riot on the Capitol. There are so many culture wars, ideological standoffs happening, and there's just so much breaking news all the time. My mom actually keeps telling me, turn the alerts off your phone, because every five minutes I'm like, what happened? Um, and then many of us are grappling with the economic realities of the pandemic. Federal and unemployment benefits ended for over 167,000 Georgians last week. And the eviction moratorium is state, is, in this state is set to end this month, which has many families bracing for homelessness in this very tight housing market. In many ways, it feels so awkward to celebrate the independence of this nation when we have so much to learn about interdependence. Many of the crises that we're experiencing right now speak largely to our enduring belief in individualism versus community. We are seeing the pain that happens when we think solely in terms of me and not we. 
when all of our worldviews begin with us and them. An attitude that says, I got mine, so you go get yours. If COVID-19 has taught us anything, it's that independence is a complete illusion. We have seen just how dependent we are on others. The health of our neighbors within six feet matters, but also the health of our neighbors 6,000 miles matter, away matters too. We're seeing MLK's words, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly, made very plain. Our illusion of safety, security, and independence is being pierced. So what if we spent today reflecting on our interdependence versus our independence? Our scripture lesson today speaks to interdependence in unexpected ways. Our, pace, our passage begins with a bit of neighborhood drama. I'm not sure what it says about me, but my favorite brand of biblical exegesis is imagining what the local gossip was. I want to know what's not captured in the text. What were folks talking about in their houses, in their courtyards, in their places of business? I love putting myself in the place of common folks who are observing and discussing the Jesus story in that time. When I imagine this scene, I imagine that there were several responses to Jesus' growing notoriety on the Nazareth streets. I'm sure some were probably silent about it. There was probably a whole segment of folks who hadn't yet formed any opinions about Jesus. They had heard talk of him over in the market, in the beauty salon, in the temple, but they had more pressing matters to worry about than Jesus's, than Mary's odd son. There were probably another group of people who were intrigued by Jesus's ministry, who were genuinely curious and wanted to know more, who maybe had heard about his teachings in the synagogue or had heard about his healing of the man with the withered hand. Did you see his hand, girl? It's so strong now. Can you imagine? Or maybe they heard of the healing of the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus. Well, I heard she wasn't just sick. I heard she was dead. And now here she is running around in the playground. One of the themes in Mark's gospel is secrecy, the messianic secret. So we often hear Jesus say, and don't tell anyone. But we know that it happened. We know that it happened. We all know how it works. Folks were talking about it all around. And still others were probably proud of the young boy that they sat next to in children's church. And he was making a name for himself. Go ahead, little Jesus. But the voice captured in the text is the chorus of skepticism, the chorus of judgment, the critics, the all-powerful they. And isn't that how it goes? I'm sure not everyone felt this way, but they were the loudest and most powerful voices, and they are the voices that get recorded in the historical text. Even now, we see how easy it is to focus on the they. All of the other voices were drowned out by the they. And let's look at what they said. Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? 
Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. What Carol said today said they were repulsed by him. And with that last line, Mark lets us know that this, these were not questions of curiosity. These were questions of judgment. So a little, a little sidebar, I'm obsessed with the show Ted Lasso. It's a show about an American college football coach who's recruited to coach the premier league, in, soccer league in England. And he has absolutely no experience with soccer. It's such a wonderful show. Uh, the new season starts July 23rd, I'm ready. But there is a whole scene where Ted offers a meditation on the power of being curious before rushing to judgment. And that's what we see here. The town they is not actually curious about Jesus. They didn't actually want to know the answer to any of these questions because they already had their answers. They had already made up their minds. They were offended and they wanted everyone to know it. So some, and some version of this hometown rejection is captured in all of the Gospels. This conversation was actually not about Jesus at all. It was about them. The subtext of all of the questions they asked was, why not me? I'm from the same place. I had the same rabbis. I walked the same streets. I drank from the same well. Why does he get to be so special? Why did he get all this? Why did he have all these so-called powers? The chorus of questioners missed. What they missed so profoundly was that Christ's ministry was not about the one. It was about the all. They wanted what he had, but the fascinating and moving thing is that they could have had all of the powers he had. They were worshiping at the myth of scarcity when Jesus promised mutuality. The next movement of this scripture passage illustrates just that. Jesus wasn't hoarding anointing or power. He was giving it away. The theys felt that Jesus's divinity was taking from them, subtracting from their power and influence, when Jesus was actually revealing a new kind of power. In the next movement of the passage, Jesus orders his disciples to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, just to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics, just one tunic. But what a radical stance of interdependence this was, a radical posture of trust and a reminder not to just look to ourselves but to look to the source of all for our needs. God would provide through God's people. And in the places where they didn't serve, where they weren't welcomed or weren't served hospitality, where there just wasn't enough to share, Jesus instructed them to shake the dust off their feet and just go. He didn't tell them to call the authorities or curse them to eternal damnation. Jesus gave us an example of nonviolent protests just a simple act of witness, and then moving along. And the next they we hear in the passage is the they of the disciples. So they went out and proclaimed 
that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed oil, and anointed with oil who were sick and cured them. The gospel makes it very clear that the very powers that threatened the hometown they were actually meant to be shared. Jesus wasn't out for control or power, but out for healing and deliverance. My friend just told me that her pastor always says every headline is a prayer request. And this has certainly changed the way that I look at the news. But I also see those headlines as an invitation, an invitation to see our connection and interdependence, not in the selfish way of making it all about us, but as a lens of troubling our tendency towards independence. We are connected. We need one another. We need to be continually reminded that we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects us all indirectly. This scripture on this holiday of independence reminds us to forget us and them and remember that we are we. And in Christ, we will find that we are one and we will find true freedom. Amen.